Twas the night before Christmas. And everyone was really fucking tired. And probably drunk. I'm so tired. Yeah. <laughs> we're all so fucking tired. And we're not drunk yet. No. But we might be. Was this episode going to come out the time for Christmas? That would be good. <laughs> yes. I, speaking of, we were just like, we're not drunk. And then, and then I just yes. said that. And I sounded so fucking this drunk. This is the last episode of 2022. We made it somehow. <laughs> I mean, let's see if we make it to the point where this can be published, but... Right, we make no promises. Happy holidays, <laughs> you fuckers. Enjoy. <laughs> what is this Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix? As spoken. As spoken. As told by the <laughs> basic snitches. Basic snitches and a lot of other bitches. So many other bitches. Last season was insane, guys. Like, when I was putting this together, there's a point where we had, like, ten special guests in a row. It's yes. Great. It was, like, two people on the, like, back-to-back. But whatever. It's fine. So, so, yeah, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, uh, according to Basic Snitches and Other Bitches. Yes. Yeah, y'all expected this. This is what we do for the holidays. You're welcome. Oh, hey, let's acknowledge our patrons first. And guess what? It's the holiday season. So if you want to give your favorite podcast host a lovely gift, for the holidays, go to patreon.com slash basic snitches. And for three bucks a month, you can get a whole bunch of exclusive content and be included in this list. And we have other tiers too. So those lovely folks include Ashley, Brian, Brittany, Jen, Layla, Mary Beth, Megan, Nisi, Olivia, Nicole, and Raph. Now on to the festivities. Chapter one. It's hot, super fucking hot, and Harry Potter is doing the only logical thing to cope with the heat. Lying in the dirt behind a bush under an open window, this kid is fucking weird. Anyway, after pissing off his aunt and uncle just by existing, Harry goes for a walk and reflects on the dumpster fire that is his life. A few weeks ago, he watched the creep who murdered his parents come back to life. Then he's tortured and nearly killed himself. Then the school year ends and he just gets sent back to Muggleland like nothing happened. So he's clearly in a really great place mentally and emotionally. While wandering the neighborhood, he comes across Dudley and his gang. But even though he'd really like to let some aggression out on all of them, he only gets as far as shouting insults back and forth with Dudley before everything suddenly goes dark. Out of nowhere, Harry and Dudley get a nice visit from the sheets with a hole, and suddenly it's no longer super fucking hot. Harry manages to produce a stag, and he rescues his cousin from the soul-sucking assholes. But, like, this shit shouldn't be happening, right? And as if not enough happens in this chapter, we get a nice visit at the end from Mrs. Fig, the crazy cat lady neighbor, revealing that she ain't no born-ass muggle resident of little women. Thank you. After saving himself and Floof from the soul-sucking whores, Quen Fig reveals that she's a squib who has been looking after Harry all these years and making sure that Mundungus Fletcher didn't fuck around. Well, he done did, and Mr. Tibbles caught him. Figlet is angry. She helps Harry and Floof get back home. What I wrote is complete nonsense. Like, if you are <laughs> not familiar with this chapter, that is complete an utter fucking nonsense. <laughs> it's great, but just an observation. Oh, so much. <laughs> so anyway, when they do, Petunia and Vernon are trying to figure out what got Floof in such a state. Floof makes an utterance that causes Vernon to blame Harry for this. Amongst his evolution into the Kool-Aid man, sponsor us, and an owl, an owl delivers an, a letter from some bitch named Mafalda from the ministry who says that Harry's expelled for saving his own ass. 
and they're coming to break his wand. Just as Harry's about fuck all and leave, Errol comes and delivers a message from Arthur telling him that Dumble's out sorting stuff. Meanwhile, the Dursleys continue to berate Harry and get information out of him while continuously interrupting him, and he's trying to explain what Dementors are and why they might be here. When Vernon asks what a Dementor is, Petunia gets 10 points, maybe literally, and answers the trivia question correctly. Oh, hey, another owl. This one from Mafalda again. And she's like, oops, we won't be snapping your wand off just yet. See you on the 12th. Meanwhile, we all want to snap Vernon's wand off. But it would be very hard because he really does have a tuna can dick, so you're really going to have to, you know, it's gonna twist. Be, it's going to be a lot of work. Twist and pull. <laughs> Harry continues to explain what happened while reeling from the realization that his neighbor is a squib and that Petunia knows Wizarding World fun facts for once. Am I Petunia? While Kool-Aid Man won't keep his fat fucking mouth shut and assumes that Dementors are coming to give him the death penalty for some reason. Harry's like, wait, let me stop you right there. That's exactly what Dementor was trying to do. To Dudley, suck out his soul. And Vernon makes a good point. Oh, that hurts to type. And asks why they're here in the first place. Harry says, probably because Cocaine Baby is back. Another owl comes from Sirius that says, stay put. Both the Dursleys remember that name amazingly as their eyebrows raise at Cocaine Baby. Everyone is full of surprises. Petunia understands the gravity of the situation. While Kool-Aid Man is like, wait, I thought he died. And Harry's like, now nah, he's back. Kool-Aid Man does the expected thing and decides that now is when he kicks Harry out. Just in time for a fifth owl to bring a howler to Petunia. Petunia lets Harry stay. This is the chapter where fans start to decide that Harry is a whiny, angsty bitch. Never mind the trauma and abandonment and bullshit, but whatever. Anyway, right after he goes to his room, Harry sends letters to Ron, Hermione, and Sirius demanding answers because he is totally in the dark. But he gets no answer and he basically just sits in his room depressed as fuck for four days. Then one evening when the Dursleys leave and Harry is alone in the house, he thinks he hears intruders. But the intruder turns out to be a fuck ton of wizards who are finally coming to take Harry away from the dish rags. Most of them are people Harry doesn't know, except Lupin and Moody, and apparently none of them have ever seen a muggle home before. So they get Harry from the muggle hell in the most conspicuous manner possible. They fucking fly over London on brooms. Then they land in the middle of a muggle street, and Moody gives Harry a piece of paper to read. Weird way to end a chapter, but okay. <laughs> Harry realizes that there is a number 11 Grimwald place, and a number 13, but no number 12. All he does is think really hard about it, though, and it appears. Well, now we know that that's not necessarily <laughs> true, but at the time, that's what I thought. It's all good. I'm sorry, please go on. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I wish that would work when I think about a husband. Oh, see? Full circle. Anyways, as he goes into this extremely dark, physically and aesthetically, house, a beacon of light appears. Clan Molly, who hurries him upstairs past such things as a bunch of house elf heads mounted on the wall, and she says she's got to run to the order meeting happening downstairs. He's greeted by a very welcoming and packed up Ron and Hermione, and then has a tantrum. Ron and Hermione do their best to ensure him that it was based on Dumbledore's orders, and start to fill him in here and there about everything he and us have been hoping to learn about, which in middle of, Ginny appears with dung bombs and the twins apparate with extendable ears. Such things are... The Order is a group of people who fought Cocaine Baby the first time around, Snape included. They've been guarding him. Percy is that little fucker we all knew he was. Cornelius is the ultimate K-word. The Daily Prophet is also corrupt and is stuck in Fudge Packer's dick. Hermione is still involved with Spew and the Grimmauld Place 
has a house elf named Creature. Molly comes in to announce the meeting is over and that it's time for dinner. Then everyone gets screened up by a racist painting who we realize is Sirius's mom. Yeah, so this creepy ass evil house belongs to Sirius. Since the meeting is over, it is time for dinner. Everyone says hi to everyone. Bill is there. He is still very cool with his long hair. They're also apparently having dinner with a pile of rags. Actually, that's just Mundungus, who is honestly less clean than rags are, but I guess it was nice to invite him to dinner anyway. Tongs continues to be clumsy as fuck, but also she's super fun. Basically, dinner is a big messy ordeal. Basic rundown is that the goblins are still mad about Ludo Bagman. Mundungus is shady. Tongs has the maturity of a 12-year-old boy, and Harry really likes rhubarb crumble. Me too. Now it's time for some exposition. Harry asks about Voldemort, which leads to the adults arguing about his right to know things and who should be stepping in as a substitute parent. And then everyone argues about what the kids should know about Voldemort and the order. And finally, we get some info. Harry, Ron, Hermione, Fred, and George learn from the adults that Voldy is trying to lie low after Harry thwarted his plans to come back without anyone knowing, due to the fact that he was unsuccessful in murdering Harry in the graveyard. They also learn that the Order is trying to stop Voldy from getting some kind of weapon on his side and from recruiting more followers to build his army back up. Oh, and the other thing is that Fudge Packer has gone off the rails and is working his damnedest to discredit Dumbledore because he's afraid his position as Minister Magic is in danger. Never mind the fact that Dumbledore has turned down the position before. There's probably more... <laughs> I like how you're just like, there's probably more. <laughs> Who knows? But Mrs. Weasley stops Sirius when she feels like they already know too much. She sends the children to bed. There's some continued discussions of order dealings before Harry falls asleep and has a sexy dream about Hagrid and his big cannons. The next morning, Harry's first full day back in the magic world begins with chores. And Harry is loving it. No, really, that's not sarcasm this time. They detoxify curtains from a set of doxies during which Fred and George keep stuffing stunned bugs into their pockets for use in the skiving snack boxes. At one point, Cocaine Baby walks in. Oh wait, that's no Cocaine Baby. It's the naked, delusional, demented, shriveled old scrotum sack house elf creature who says all of his racist thoughts out loud. I didn't know 45 was in this book. (laughs) I didn't write that ooh, but I like that you added it. Very nice. Speaking of racist, once it's lunchtime, Sirius gives Harry an overview of his family and all the assholes from the past. Namely, that his brother Regulus was a death eater that was ordered to death by cocaine baby. He's related to the little strangers, talks, and the Malfoys, and that when he left his house at 16 and was disowned by his bitch of a mother, he went to live with the Potters. Sirius' shitty family sure sounds like so-called patriots. The joy of learning all of this is ripped away from Harry as he's reminded of his hearing which starts to make him worry. Yet, his worries are abated by cleaning out some cabinets filled with a bunch of fucked up shit. 45 continues to come in and take all the fucked up shit while sobbing. As everyone continues to cleanse the house of dark energy and objects, it seems more and more like everything in the house is alive and cursed. The dread of the hearing comes to a point, though, when Molly reveals the details of tomorrow 
and indicates that Arthur will be taking him to the hearing, not serious, because Dumbledore says that. Wait, Dumbledore was here? Harry wakes up to a bright, beautiful, sunny day filled with bountiful opportunities. While Ron sleeps in, Harry goes downstairs to have a nice breakfast before heading out on a wonderful adventure with Mr. Weasley. Just kidding! Harry wakes up dreading the day. His breakfast is pretty terrible because he is so nervous. All the adults pla placate? Is that how you pronounce that? Placate? Placate! <laughs> Sorry, I am brain dead. It feels like Friday. All the adults placate him with false cheerfulness. The only thing he has to wear to a formal disciplinary hearing is apparently a t-shirt and jeans. And as usual, his hair does not cooperate. He and Mr. Weasley leave together to go to the Ministry of Magic. At the Ministry, we see all kinds of different magical offices. I almost said magical orifices. Well? An unnecessary oppressive statue and lots of paper airplanes. Kingsley runs into Arthur and Harry, and we learn that he's pretending to lead the team of Aurors searching for Sirius. Harry and Arthur barely get to Arthur's office when Perkins comes in and tells them that Harry's hearing has been moved up to 8 a.m. And also it's going to be an entirely different part of the building. So because other people are assholes and like to change shit up last minute, Harry and Mr. Weasley have to rush to get there as soon as possible. When they get to the old courtrooms that apparently have not been used in years, Mr. Weasley tells Harry he has to go in alone. Legal question. Can a 15-year-old attend a hearing without a guardian? Apparently they can in the wizarding world. Let's call it what it is. This chapter shines a light on the absolute inefficiency of the Ministry of Magic and its so-called leader. He chooses to nitpick at the tiniest use cases of a miner's magic, who in this case, attacked by soul-sucking whores employed by the Ministry, no, I'm not talking about Umbridge, that doesn't happen until later, and does so by wasting everyone's time first thing in the morning and having an absolute fit. However, let's give it up for the three friends in this chapter, Bones, Fig, and Dumble, which consequently is the name Adam, Tara, and Brian O'Jackson's first name. And you get to guess who's who, because Harry gets off, as everyone disturbingly sings in the next chapter while dancing around, but we'll get to that in the next episode. In short, the Ministry of Magic is Texas. Nobody in the courtroom talks to Harry after. It's over. So he awkwardly leaves to tell Arthur that he was cleared of all charges. Before they leave the Ministry, Mr. Weasley and Harry observe? Oh. You wrote a, a verse. I kind of did a voice to text. Oh. Mr. This. Weasley and Harry observe some sus behavior from Fudge Packer and Luscious Boy Toy. Both Harry and Papa Weasley pull out some decent sass before they take the lift up to the atrium. Harry donates a bunch of money to the St. Mungo's and they go back to Grimmauld Place. The good news is shared with the crew and Arthur leaves to take care of a shitty task. They're... They're... Hog <laughs> That's it. They're... Their Hogwarts letters arrive with them. A huge surprise for Ron. Dumble is back on his bullshit of making questionable choices and he has made Ron a prefect. Hermione is also prefect, but that is simply unsurprising. Harry struggles with his feelings of Ron being chosen over him as prefect and gets to have a few moments of dealing with trivial teenage bullshit. Dinner is hustling with back-to-school energy that is destroyed by Mad-Eye showing Harry a photo of the OG OOTP. The Augutp. Yes, the Augutp. <laughs> Harry leaves dinner and finds Mrs. Weasley struggling with a bogger, seeing her family dead before Harry, then Lupin, Sirius, and Mad-Eye come in and basically the chapter ends in a pretty low place. One of those sad emojis. Harry wakes up from a bad dream. He sure does have a lot of those. And is woken up by Ron telling them that they need to hurry so they won't miss the train. 
don't want another Ford Anglia situation. There's a lot of screaming between Mrs. Weasley and Sirius's racist mom, and there's just a shitload of chaos in the house. Amidst the chaos, Sirius insists on going with them to King's Cross in dog form. Molly eventually gives in and allows it. They all arrive at the station and say their goodbyes. On the train, Hermione reminds Harry that she and Ron are better than him now, and they have to go up to the front car with the other prefects. Hashtag, you can't sit with us. Harry goes with Ginny, and they come across Neville, who says every carriage is full. Ginny points out a carriage with only Looney Lovegood in it, and Neville was clearly trying to avoid that one. They go inside the carriage and are introduced to one of the best characters in the entire series, Quen Luna. Yes, Adam, I'm giving her Quen status with or without your permission. Bitch, she already done had it. <laughs> Don't think you're special. Luna is a quirky girl who is reading a magazine upside down. Totally normal. Neville shows everyone the Mimbulus Mimbletonia that he got for his birthday. He pokes the plant and it immediately shoots liquid everywhere. Unfortunately, this isn't the fun type of liquid we like shooting out. Wink, wink. <laughs> of course, this is the moment that Cho Chang comes by to say hi, right as Harry is covered all over with his creamy liquid. Luckily, Ginny knows all about cleaning up liquid messes and does so quickly. Eventually, Ron and Hermione show up and give everyone the tea on the new prefects, one of which, of course, is Malfoy. At one point, Ron says something supposedly funny, and it literally kills Luna dead, and she just can't even. When she's doubled over from laughter, Harry notices the magazine she was reading and goes to read it. There's an article about Sirius and how he's actually a singer of a pop band, The Hobgoblins. Let's be honest, if Sirius were part of a band, it'd be called Why So Serious. Harry realizes the magazine is pure garbage and Hermione informs him that everyone knows that. Things get hella awkward when Luna says her dad is the editor of the magazine. Malfoy comes by and is a dick as usual, but now he's a dick with power and not the kind we all like. Before he leaves, Malfoy makes a comment that he'll be dogging Harry's footsteps in case he steps out of line and Harry and Hermione become nervous that he may know about Sirius being at King's Cross. They arrive at Hogwarts, and when they step off the train, Professor Grubbly Plank is there to take first years to the castle instead of Hagrid. Harry is greatly concerned about this because where's my boy Hagrid? They arrive at the horseless stagecoaches to go to the castle, only now they're not horseless. They are now being pulled by strange skeleton horses with wings. Harry asks Ron what he thinks they are, but Ron can't see them. Harry thinks he may be going mad when Luna says she can see them too, and that Harry is just as sane as she is. Ruh -roh. As they board the carriages, now suddenly pulled by creepy horses, Luna wastes no time showing how good she is at stating uncomfortable truths as she flat out calls Hagrid a bad teacher. While she's not wrong, the others are quick to defend him and she is unmoved. When they arrive at Hogwarts, they hurry inside and into the Great Hall. Harry tries to ignore the fact that people are pointing at him and whispering as they go to all their house tables. The feast begins as they discuss where Hagrid may be, and they notice for the first time that Pink Bitch is sitting at the staff table. The sorting begins with the sorting hat dropping some history and warnings and leaving everyone a bit confused. Hermione and nearly headless Nick discuss the fact that the hat knows things because it hangs with Dumble all year and has historically given students subtle warnings in its songs to stick together despite the sorting into separate houses. Ron offends nearly headless Nick by being disgusting and talking with his mouth full. Dumble tries to welcome students and do his usual speech, but is interrupted by Pink Bitch. She's condescending and a, frankly a terrible public speaker, and it really feels like the whole school is ready to hate her. But nobody really listens to her speech but Hermione, of course. She reads between the lines and realizes to the others that this bitch is here to change Hogwarts. Harry and Neville get back to Gryffindor Tower and learn that Seamus' mother doesn't, didn't want him to return to school because she believes Harry and Double are nuts 
and Ron comes into the dorm just in time to stop an impending altercation between Harry and Seamus. Dean awkwardly tells them all that his parents don't even know that someone died last year, and Neville defends Harry and Dumble before everyone goes to bed in an awkward silence. It's the first day of classes. Harry is irritable. This is not going to be a good day. Long story short, nearly everyone is either boring or a massive asshole, and Ron and Hermione keep asking him not to take his anger out on them, which is correct, but also not terribly helpful. Angelina is there, though, too. She is a ray of sunshine. Yay, Angelina! Then they get to defense against the dark arts, which technically this year is pink theory, taught by an unqualified twat that has no intent to prepare children for the real world. Pink Nazi fuck loses her temper when she realizes she can't control children. She gives Harry detention and sends him out of the classroom, because it's not hers, let's be clear, to see McGee. Why did I call him McGee? McGuh. Uh, McGuh tells Harry he needs to keep his head low and control his temper in a much better way and gives him cookies. In fact, this scene was almost the inspiration for the name of this podcast. So that is a silver lining on the massive dump that is this chapter. I can't wait to drive that pink menace into the ground with loss of points. Where's those grubs when you need them? While they are at dinner, Harry can hear what feels like everyone in the Great Hall whispering about him. Fed up with it, Hermione suggests that they leave early. Hermione tells Harry that she's not sure that anyone believed him or Dumble after the Triwizard Tournament last year. They head back to the common room and sit in front of the fire with Crookshanks. They spend some time bitching about the pink troll before they begin to work on their homework. Hermione threatens the twins with a letter to Molly and Ron chickens out on his prefect duties when it comes to telling his brothers to not use first years to test their experimental products. Professor Grubbly Plank is back and she's teaching about bow treckles. Harry asks her about Hagrid, but she doesn't tell him anything. Malfoy is, as always, terrible, but he also drops hints to Harry that he may know something about Hagrid that the Order does not. On their way to Herbology, they see Ginny and then Luna. Luna tells Harry she believes him and Dumbledore. Hermione is pretty rude to her, and even after she leaves, she continues to be rude about Luna to Harry. Bernie Mac butts in to tell Harry that he also believes him. Harry goes to dinner, and Angelina yells at him for getting detention for the day of Quidditch tryouts. He rushes through his dinner and then heads to his scheduled detention with Pink Bitch. Hell is floral tablecloths and lace covered surfaces, and that's the name of this episode. Hell is floral tablecloths and lace covered surfaces, and Umbridge is the gatekeeper. Harry asks her if he can have Friday evening off, and of course she says no. She has him do lines, but instead of giving him ink, she has him write I must not tell lies with a quill that cuts open his hand and writes in his blood. So detention is basically torture. Harry does not tell Ron and Hermione about what is really happening in detention and continues this pattern for two more nights. After Thursday night's detention, Harry heads back to the common room and runs into Ron. He is hiding from his brothers and being super suspicious. He finally admits to Harry that he has been practicing to try out for the Gryffindor Quidditch team. Ron expects him to laugh at him, but Harry is thrilled at the idea. But as they walk towards the common room together, Ron notices the cut on the back of his hand. Ron tells him to go to McGut or Dumble. The final evening of detention, Harry realizes that he can shift where he's sitting and he's able to check in on Quidditch tryouts. By the time that the detention is over, it's too dark for him to see the Quidditch pitch and his hand now continues to bleed onto the parchment. A weird thing happens when Umbridge touches Harry's arm to check his hand and instead of pain where he's been cut, he feels pain in his scar. He worries about what this means and heads back to the common room to discuss with Ron and Hermione. But when he arrives, he learns that Ron made the team. 
Harry finds Hermione and tells her about what happened with Pink Bitch, and she tells him he should go to Dumble. But Harry's over that bitch, so he says no and goes bit. <laughs> Coming off a rough week, it's the weekend. As I'm writing this, yeah, I can relate, because it's a pretty nice start to the weekend, all things considered. Harry wakes up, and it's a beautiful day. He writes a carefully worded letter to Sirius, then takes it to the Owlry, where he has a wonderful interaction with Quen Cho, and an adverse reaction to opposite of Quen Filch. Dear listeners, if you need a word for someone that is the opposite of Quen, write in and give us recommendations. Basicsnitches at gmail.com. Oh, also Harry sees a fast roll. Harry is cheerful at breakfast, where he and Ron determine to squander the day by practicing Squidditch instead of focusing on homework, and Hermione sees some unfortunate bits of news in the Daily Prophet. There's allegedly been a serious sighting, and Sturgis Podmore is an Azkaban, which is estimated to be, and likely could be, a setup, because as we learn later, the Ministry bullshit is getting worse. Quidditch practice doesn't go super smoothly, and the Slytherin prefects have nothing better to do, so instead of focusing on homework that evening, Harry and Ron brood. The next day, however, is all homework until the end of the day when we get an owl from Percy that shows how cult DP is. Surprisingly, he's sucking Umbridge off. I wouldn't think she was his type. Must be her meaty hands. And then we get an equally flaming message from Sirius, who honestly doesn't give a ton of helpful information other than Umbridge is a bitch. Yeah, we know, Sirius. And then he pouts because Harry doesn't want him to come to visit because it's too dangerous. Sirius, grow hair. For real. They open the Daily Prophet to some super bad news the next day. Pink Bitch has begun her quest to take over Hogwarts. Step one, get a really stupid sounding title guaranteed to make people who already hate you hate you even more. Nobody who isn't a piece of shit is happy about this, except Ron who tries to find the silver lining and imagines how McGill will inevitably destroy the cotton candy contagion when she bitch dares to inspect her class. They go to History of Magic, then to Potions, where Snape continues on his bullshit of being thoroughly unencouraging to his students. Then they go to lunch, where they discuss the grading skill for owls with Fred and George. Then, when Ron and Harry go to Divination, they get to see the pink troll inspect Trelawney. Needless to say, things don't go very well for Trelawney. <laughs> Moving into the defense... I need to take a breath. Oh my god. Moving into Defense Against the Dark Arts, things don't go well for Hermione either when she challenges the author of their textbook and tries to stand up for herself against Troll Bitch. She loses five points for Gryffindor and Harry earns himself more detention while trying to stick up for her. And also bringing up that really weird time that one of their data teachers had Voldy hanging out on the back of his head. Nobody is happy with Harry for getting more detention, especially Angelina and McGuff. Ron gets his wish, and Umbitch, which is a great name, I think that's probably her new name, Umbitch inspects McGut in Transfiguration. Quinn McGut positively owns that bitch and seals the whole perfect lesson with a beautiful bit of sarcasm. God, what a fucking queen! Pinkasaurus Wreck, that's another good one. You're welcome. Good job. Also inspects Grubbly Plank, or more accurately interrogates the poor woman about Hagrid while she's just trying to do her fucking job. Harry earns even more detention. After his detention that night, Harry is ambushed by Hermione about an idea she has to have Harry teach them defense against the dark arts. 
Harry's been thinking about teaching data analysis after all, especially since he managed to get all his Google certifications renewed despite all the homework, Quidditch practice, and detention with a K-word face. Hermione is like, oh cool, because I asked a couple of people to meet us at the fucking hole in the wall, Umbridge's nickname in college, in Hogsmeade. Turns out it's like 20 people. Long story short, everyone's like, yeah, let's meet once a week. They sign a contract, determine that they're on the lookout for a location. All of that is water under the bridge, Though, honestly, because we meet motherfucking Zack Smith! Yeah, that's right. When he's not getting cozy with hot ladies or harassing first years or wetting the bed or accidentally turning everything he touches into dicks, he's learning about data analysis with Professor Harry. Honestly, the fact that we finally reached Zack Smith on Basic Snitches is a major achievement. Well done, everyone. We did it. Overall, a pretty good chapter for Harry, thank God, because he needs it. Oh, also, Jenny has a boyfriend. Harry's weekend continues to be lovely. Then Monday happens and it's difficult to say who is having the worst day, Harry, Trelawney, or Hedwig. Of course, the whole reason behind this is due to the existence of Pink Bitch. So in case you ever thought your Mondays could be worse, I guess be glad you don't have um bitch to worry about. Speaking of worrying about that pink home, Monday ends up being a not so great day for Sirius too. Umbridge ruins everything. <laughs> we open the chapter with the students practicing their Italian and charms as Hermione is getting second thoughts about Harry teaching data. Why do I think this is another instance of Sirius actually kind of being right? Can't slight Hermione for her bullshit detector being on full blast. Quidditch is back on, which is great, but they have to go to practice in a monsoon. Afterwards, Harry's scar hurts yet again. He can sense that cocaine baby is angry. To which I imagine an angry baby smashing a cake. See, when you picture it like that, it's not so bad. Harry can somehow read Cocaine Baby's thoughts, or rather mood, and he's doing homework later, and this colors his dreams when he falls asleep in the common room. Well, at least he'll have a dream to assess in the next divination class. He gets woken up by a drag queen. Oh wait, that's no drag queen, it's Dobby, who is wearing almost all of Hermione's hats, and it's called Fashion Henny. Toffee brings back Hedwig, whose wing is all better, then tips Harry off to the room of requirement as a potential place for them to have data lessons. Fuck yes, doubles. The word gets out and they all head to the room of requirement, which is set up perfectly for data lessons. They have dark detectors and everything. Everyone shows up on time, they elect Harry the leader, which seemed a bit redundant, but okay, and then decide on the name Dumbledore's Army, Ginny's recommendation, even though Angelina and Fred had some pretty good anti-umbrage ones too. Class goes pretty well overall. Yay, another pretty positive chapter. Yes! After the first meeting of Dumbledore's army, the DA, Harry is feeling good about himself. Not only is he fighting back against the tyranny of the ministry through defying Professor Umbridge, but he is using all the negative experience he's had with fighting Voldemort to support the education of his peers. Honestly, he deserves all the points to Gryffindor for this. Hermione devises a way for all the members of the DA to schedule their meetings and to let one another know without detection. It involves using galleons that members can carry in their pockets. As Hermione explains this to them, they ask her why she is not in Ravenclaw given her immense intelligence. She can already perform spells at the highest education level. Hermione responds that the Sorting Hat had seriously considered her for Ravenclaw, but had decided to put her in Gryffindor. This literally does nothing to move the plot forward. I thought it was interesting, LOL. Okay, so the main events of this chapter. This time has finally come for Quidditch. And because it's the first match of the season, and because this is Harry Potter, the match is between Gryffindor and Slytherin. Ron is the new keeper, and he is terribly nervous about the match. 
On the day of the match, the Slytherins are being a bunch of assholes and are wearing badges that mock Ron. Their badges read, Weasley is our king. And they're yelling a chant from the stands to throw him off. Because of this, when the game begins, Ron does not perform well and he misses several opportunities to block goals, which put Slytherin in the lead. Luckily, Harry catches the snitch in time and wins the game for Gryffindor, as he usually does. The Slytherins are so upset with this win that Malfoy and his teammates yell insults at Harry and Ron about their respective families. Harry and George lunge at Malfoy and start to throw punches. Because of this incident, they end up in Professor McGonagall's office to be disciplined. McGonagall is doling out detention when Professor Umbridge comes in and tells McGonagall that she no longer has the authority over punishments and that by the order, order of the ministry, it is only Professor Umbridge who cannot determine disciplinary action at the school. Professor Umbridge's punishment for Harry, George, and Fred is to ban them from ever playing Quidditch again at the school. And to top it off, she takes their brooms from them. Unsurprisingly, everyone is terribly upset and depressed by this. As the chapter ends, Hermione tells Harry and Ron that Hagrid has returned, and then they bury fucking pink bitch in a hole. The end. Hagrid is back. The Groffs done fucked Hagrid all the way up. Hagrid went on a trip with Madame Maxine to find the giants, and I'm sure she did find some giants in Hagrid's pants, because they've been fucking the whole time, trust. The giants are big, stupid, ugly, dangerous babies with bad hygiene, and unfortunately, Dick Fuck McNair, which is his actual name, trust me, I looked it up, got to them first despite Hagrid and Maxime giving them a nice gift of fire and a helmet. Just as they finally get to the part where Hagrid is about to tell them why he looks so haggard, ha ha ha, lol. The ha 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 was me, the lol was Adam. There you go. Oh, thank you for distinguishing. And why he's returned so much later than Maxime, the K-word comes to the door. Seriously, I'm so sick of K-Word at this point. Can we just get one chapter without K-Word coming around and fucking things up? No, why hasn't she been murdered yet? Once K-Word is gone, they start warning Hagrid about K-Word. And in typical Hagrid fashion, he doesn't listen. Well, it's good to have Hagrid back, I guess, but I hope he doesn't fuck this up. Hagrid is back on his bullshit. No matter what Hermione does to convince him otherwise, he is determined to go back to his usual lessons in care of magical creatures. The lesson is on Thestrals, and Harry finally learns about the seemingly invisible horses that pull the Hogwarts carriages. Unfortunately, the pink bitch has come to observe the class. She's as to be expected. The fucking worst! Fearful of being stripped of his title of being the worst, Malfoy... <laughs> I like that. Malfoy tries to throw out unoriginal insults at Ron after class. This fucker needs new material. They have one more DA lesson before Christmas break. Not defense against, that's not Data, that's Dumbledore's army. Yes, yes. DA. DA, not Day Day. Day Day. <laughs> Harry learns this the very important fact that Mistletoe is often infected with nargles before being told by Angelina that Ginny has replaced him as Seeker. The lesson is a review of things they've already learned and the evening goes very well until everyone leaves and it's just Harry and Cho. Cute awkward first kiss, complete with uncomfortable conversation and tears. Harry tells Ron and Hermione about the kiss. Ron teases Harry and Hermione tries to encourage him. She then gives the boys a very complex lesson in emotions. The boys try to work on their homework and Hermione writes a letter to Crumb. When they all finally go to bed, they are the last ones awake. The boys go to bed and Harry starts to have a weird dream about Cho and DA meeting. Then his dream changes and he is moving through an unfamiliar corridor. He sees a man sleeping and feels like he wants to bite him. <laughs> Same. Every time I see a man sleeping, I'm like, I'm gonna bite that. 
When he attacks, his scar explodes into pain, and Harry wakes up to Ron shaking him. He tries to tell Ron about the dream, realizing that the man in the dream is Mr. Weasley. Neville gets in the gut, and she takes Harry and Ron to Dumbledore. Harry wakes and goes to see Dumbledore about his dream. Harry says he saw the snake's perspective, Mr. Weasley being attacked, and Mr. Weasley is taken to St. Mungo's. The Weasleys plan to go to Sirius's house, then visit the hospital. Harry wants to strike down Dumbledore, but it passes. They get a message from Mrs. Weasley that dad is okay, but to stay where they are. She arrives at 5.30 a.m. and says he's okay. Harry tells Sirius about the dream and that it's scar hurt and that he wanted to attack Dumbledore. They go to St. Mungo's and find out he was attacked guarding something. The kids eavesdrop on the Weasleys and Moody says the boy is seeing things from inside you-know-who's snake but if you-know-who is possessing him dot 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 and then the kids are all staring at Harry looking frightened because Harry is fucking terrifying. Harry is literally driving himself crazy now. He refuses to sleep. He hides from everyone at Grimwald Place. He considers going back to stay with the Dursleys. Eventually, as he is about to just run away, he gets the unsatisfying message from Dumbledore to stay where he is. No explanation, no asking how he's doing, no reassurances. Just a command to stay like he's a fucking dog. No wonder this kid is so pissed off right now. Later that day, reinforcements in the shape of Hermione are sent in. She apparently spends zero time with her family ever and talks Harry off the ledge before they go back to the bedroom where Ginny and Ron are waiting. Harry is still reluctant to be around people, but Ginny puts him in his place and everyone gets ready to go visit Mr. Weasley again. They don't stay long in his room because Mrs. Weasley yells at him for trying muggle medicine remedies. The trio and Ginny head off in search of a cup of tea and run into Adam's favorite data teacher, Lockhart. Except, since he tried to wipe Harry and Ron's memories in the Chamber of Secrets, his brain's been fucked up since he is basically just a very large toddler who knows he was famous at one point. His brain always don't been fucked up. It's always been a little Correct. Okay. It does say Lockshart, not Lockhart. We call him Lockshart. Okay, I am sorry. <laughs> yes, that's okay. it does. You are correct. <laughs> I thought that was a typo. No. Lockshart. Okay. Uh, before they could retreat from their former professor, they noticed two people who were visiting patients on the other end of the ward. An old woman with a crazy hat and Neville. It's revealed that they are visiting Neville's parents, and the last few pages of the chapter are actually just designed to tear our hearts out and rip them to pieces as Ron, Ginny, and Hermione learn about what happened to Alice and Frank Longbottom. In a desperate attempt to not leave the chapter in such a sad place, Lockshart makes one final appearance, but nobody gives a shit because we've been done with that asshat for three books. The time to go back to school is approaching, and before they can all leave, Snape arrives at Grimwald Place to have another dick-measuring contest with Sirius. Luckily, before Harry can be too traumatized by this, the Weasleys return from bringing Arthur home from St. Mungo's. The other reason why Snape shows up is to tell Harry he has to take occlumency lessons with him. So now Harry has even more things to look forward to once he returns to Hogwarts. The children are taken in back to Hogsmeade on the night bus with Tonks and Lupin, and before before we know it, it's Monday, and school has started again. Various members of Dumbledore's army ask Harry about their next meeting, and he can't set a date and time yet because of his extra lessons with Snape. Cho approaches him and drops a very unsubtle hint about the next Hogsmeade visit being on Valentine's Day. And then it's time for occlumency. Basically, Snape gives Harry a basic definition of occlumency and legitimacy, then proceeds to creep on all Harry's private memories. After several minutes of having Snape prying on Harry's thoughts, he unwittingly uses a stinging hex to defend himself. Snape fires more verbal abuse at him and pulls out more memories before this process causes Harry to realize that the corridor he'd been dreaming about since the summer 
is in the Department of Mysteries. Harry leaves this lesson super sus of Snape and hurries back to tell Ron and Hermione everything. Exhausted from everything, he decides not to stay up to work on homework and heads back to his dorm after they debrief on their first day back. As he gets back to his dorm, he is suddenly overcome with pain and a weird feeling of euphoria that warns him that Voldy is super happy about something. Well, big news, everyone. There's been a mass breakout at Azkaban. Almost like Dumble warned Fudge Packer this would happen. The trio learn this news from the Daily Prophet at breakfast. After they read that headline, they also learn that the Ministry is blaming Sirius for the mass breakout, and that Bode, who Harry met at the Ministry the day of his hearing, has died from being strangled by Double Snare at St. Mungo's. Hermione runs off to send a letter, and the boys head to class. Another educational decree has been issued, 26, and Hagrid and Trelawney are both on probation. Harry continues to be terrible at occlumency, and in severe contrast, Neville has stepped in the fuck up in ZA lessons. Then it's time for awkward teenage Valentine's Day date for Harry and show. Needless to say, it does not go well. After unwittingly fucking up any kind of future with a girl he's been crushing on the past two years, Harry goes to Three Broomsticks to meet Hermione. Hermione has come up with a plan that begins with Harry having to relive his trauma from the previous summer again and ends with exploiting her association with Luna to have Rita Skeeter do an interview with Harry to be published in The Quibbler. Overall, a not fun chapter for pretty much everyone. We've got... Two- 270 pages left and 12 chapters. Now it's on average 22.5 pages per chapter, so they've got to cram these chapters full, don't they? Let's get into the shit show that happens here because I was two seconds from pulling the everything goes to shit card, but there are some deets in this chapter. Also, everything goes to shit is not is no longer it doesn't, original. It doesn't really go to shit either, yeah. but there's just it, a lot happens. That's what it would have been. Harry is recounting his interview with Rita and his weird date with Cho. Neville eats a baked potato. Hopefully, much to Tara's pleasure. Hermione is a bit stuffy. The Gryffindors lose pathetically to Hufflepuff in their next Quidditch match. Yes, it may seem like it's a typical Grey Shadow that's focused casting, but then things take a turn for the better. Harry has a dream where McGuff plays the bagpipes, which is a sign for things improving. The next morning, Rita Skeeter actually was true to her word and wrote Harry's tell-all, to which he received many letters, of which most seem to be received fairly positively. The Pink Devil doesn't take kindly to this, but her penchant for creating a rule for everything backfired and causes literally everyone to have both read the article in the Quibbler and rendered them unable to talk about it. Such amazing things happen, such as several professors treating Harry with extra kindness and Cho and Seamus turning around. Dare I say, perhaps the beginning of unraveling of this monstrous thunder. Harry has another dream, this time as Voldy. When he sees himself in the mirror, it causes him to wake up in a fright yet again, but also learning that apparently Avery had said that Broderick Bode, the man who was killed at St. Mungo's, in the last chapter and had worked at the department. Mysteries would be able to remove the prophecy, but when Lucy used the Imperius curse, something backfired so he was silenced with the devil's snare. That also connects to Sturgis Podmore's arrest. Hermione tells him the next day her typical stuffiness for this chapter that he should focus on Occlumency. Ah, yes. Well, let's go to there, shall we? Snape still teaches poor Harry. Harry does his best to fire back. Harry sees the door ajar and then we hear a scream. Ah, sweet. Someone finally filleted the pink devil like the pork chop she is. Oh, wait, this hasn't happened yet? 
What the fuck? Why hasn't anyone murdered this bitch yet? Said bitch is, in fact, firing for Lonnie during the busiest time of one of the busiest locations because clearly any drop of tax she might have had has since leaked out her gaping asshole. Maga comes to comfort Trelawney and Dumble comes in and calls bullshit. Pink Devil's stupid rules were poorly written. Trelawney can in fact stay as it was her home. Then Dumble found a new divination teacher. A Sagittarius! Go Sagittarius! Yes! Trelawney's groupies are only a bit sad that she's been sacked because they are real excited about trying to impress that gorgeous Sagittarius. She said centaur, but it's a Sagittarius. (laughs) (laughs) That boring classroom is now a super cool forest, and everyone gets to lay back in Star Watch for divination class. Firenze low-key shades Trelawney and tells everyone that war is on the horizon, and also that humans aren't good at reading signs. Actually, he only taught them that no one really knows anything. Harry tries to give Hagrid a warning from Forenzi since the centaurs, the, I'm sorry, the Sagittariuses are pissed. <laughs> He's moved on into the castle, but Hagrid is in denial and not really worried about his job, just like all the other times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Everyone is super stressed about owls. That cool DA group is the only thing Harry is living for. But wait, some curly-haired rando. <laughs> Tattled. To that pink bitch, thanks Dobby, and everyone has to make a run for it. Draco trips Harry when the pink bitch can't stop smiling because she thinks she got him expelled. Except good old Dumbledore takes the fall instead. Fudge is ecstatic, but that pink bitch is pissed. Dumble leaves in a cool dramatic fashion after giving Harry a final plea to listen to Snape and stop having those mysterious dreams. Well, even though it's probably all part of the plan, the Pink Devil is now the so-called head of the school. She's raising Nazi youth and encouraging Filch to torture students, apparently. Luckily, a brief attempt at poisoning slash interrogating Harry is interrupted by the twins shooting off fireworks throughout the castle, writing, Pink is the ugliest fucking color I've ever seen, LOL, in their trajectories. (laughs) That would be great. Thus is the first day that the Pink Devil has to deal with. Harry has a dream that night of the Department of Mysteries where he actually goes into the mysterious door and then wakes up to a day when he has to deal with occlumency. There's a brief encounter with Cho where she tries to defend Mary Trader Edgecombe, and then apparently Snape has to go save their Quidditch captain because he's stuck in a toilet. What's with the toilet theme in this book? Is it symbolism for what the school has become with Pink Devil here? Is this the equivalent of the onion during these unprecedented times where satire is now reality? Harry takes this frustrating moment to fall into the stone basin in Snape's office. We see Snape and the Marauders taking their data analysis owls, followed by some just chilling on the quad, that turns into James Potter bullying the shit out of Snape, with Lily coming to his rescue. Also in defense of Snape, James does come off as pretty self-absorbed here. While it explains some things and drums up some empathy for him, the lesson here is to not turn into your bullies when you grow up, dear listeners. Amen. Snap. Anywho, after pulling uh, Montague out of the shitter, Snape angry and throws some cockroaches at Potter and tells him not to tell anyone. Sure, Jan. Also, did anyone notice that this is the second episode in a row where the word cock was in the chapter? Just me? Okay. Well, it's a good opportunity to make Sarah say cock on her podcast, not like she needed one anyway. 
Harry lies about why he's not doing occlumency anymore. Then he broods a lot about learning that his dad was a dick. Quen Ginny can tell something's wrong and assumes that, she, that he's still upset about Cho, but Harry admits he just wants to be able to talk to Sirius. It's time for career advice, and 15-year-olds are supposed to know what the fuck they want to do with the rest of their lives, and then make a plan with their head of house. Because she's the fucking worst pink bitch attends Harry's meet with, with McGuh, and the session turns into a debate over Harry's capabilities of becoming an Auror, and McGuh fucking owns the troll. Then later, the twins set off a distraction so Harry can talk to Sirius through Umbitch's fire, where he gets very little closure on the matter, but is maybe cheered afterwards by watching Fred and George drop out of school in the most epic way possible. Everyone can't shut up about friend George's epic ass exit from Hogwarts. Turns out no one knows how to get rid of the swamp they left, so it just lives there now. And Filch's job has gone from non-magical janitor to child punter and kicks them across the swamp to get to their classes. Um, bitch is starting to lose control over the students and she is not happy. Back in the common room, Ron is worried that his mother will blame him for friend George leaving. This is good therapy juice for later in life. But when Harry reveals that he gave the twins the money to start their joke shop, Ron is thrilled because it means his mom will blame Harry. But we all know that's not true because Harry is Molly's favorite of all her children. <laughs> Hermione starts bitching at Harry about occlumency again and Harry avoids the topic of his mental health again. Therapy juice! Now it's time for sports! It's the final match of the season, the Braves versus the Smarts. Ron is obs hella nervous because duh. While they're watching the game, Hagrid tells Harry and Hermione to come with him. They sneak away, however Hagrid is able to sneak, and go into the Forbidden Forest, probably just for casual hang. Hagrid tells Harry and Hermione that he expects to be sacked by Umbitch any day now, and so he needs them to do him a favor. While in the Forbidden Forest, clearly this couldn't mean anything dangerous, Harry and Hermione discover that Hagrid brought a giant back with him from his trip, and not just any giant, his half-brother, the Grops! He tells the tale of bringing the Grops back to Hogwarts and how that is why it took him so long to return to the school. It is also revealed why he is always covered in bruises. Ah, abuse. Hagrid tells Harry and Hermione that he would like them to look after the Grops when he gets to the sack. No need to feed him, just give him company. You know, put on your invisibility cloak, risk getting caught, come into the Forbidden Forest, keep this giant company. They both reluctantly agree after feeling very guilted into it. Therapy juice! The Grops wakes up and Hagrid introduces everyone. Suddenly, the Sagittarius is. Thank you! I edited. Bless. I know what's up. <laughs> Suddenly, the Sagittarius has entered the chat and they are not happy. They're furious that Hagrid helped friends betray them by coming to work at the castle. Tension builds and the Sagittarius tell Hagrid that the only reason they're not going to hurt him is because he's there with children. Didn't they try to kill him in year one? No. <laughs> They leave the forest and they realize the Quidditch game has ended and everyone is heading back to the castle. They hear people singing Weasley is our king and assume that it's the snakes making fun of Ron again. Turns out it was the Braves singing it and they changed the lyrics to reflect that Ron is a badass and they won the damn Quidditch cup and Harry and Hermione missed it. Ouch. Ron is clearly ecstatic and Harry and Hermione decide to wait until the next day to tell Ron about their forced upon agreement to take care of the Grops. <laughs>
Ron wants to talk about Quidditch because he's feeling very proud of himself since winning the cup. Hermione and Harry have yet to tell him that they didn't actually watch the match and that they were, in fact, chilling with Hagrid and his little bro. That makes it sound like they were smoking weed in the woods. That's my thing, not her. But yeah, maybe they were. I'm sure that would make that whole thing much easier to get through. Probably. When they finally get around to telling him he is understandably disappointed that they missed the match, until he learns about the Grops. Hermione explains the Grops by reciting the first line of his Tinder profile. She informs him that she and Harry promised to teach the Grops English. Ron thinks maybe they shouldn't. Also, Ron is suddenly the most sensible person in the group. Everyone spends all of their time studying like crazy for these huge standardized tests. Apparently Hogwarts has a black market, which I guess I shouldn't really actually be surprised. Anyways, the day the examiners arrive, the trio fall back in on their bullshit and become nosy little bitches, in case we were ever concerned that they would grow out of that. First exam is charms, and afterwards Hermione starts to go over the exam with them, but Ron shouts her down because going through once was enough. The next day, they did Transfiguration, and the day after that, they did Herbology. Because Harry has competent and lovely teachers in Charms, Transfiguration, and Herbology, he feels like he did pretty well on all of those exams. When Harry does his Defense Against the Dark Arts exam, he is really certain that he did well enough to receive an outstanding. They have a weekend off, and then on the following Monday, they start with potions again, and Harry is surprised that he feels like he may have done okay. How astonishing that someone could do better in a class without the teacher that makes him miserable not being there. Care of Magical Creatures is next, then Astronomy Theory, and then Divination. That evening when they go to their practical astronomy exam, and while they're trying to do their exam, while the rest of the castle should be fucking sleeping, the pink piece of garbage decides to take the Ministry Minions to attack Hagrid. This pink shitbag then lets them stun Fang, and then when McGut tries to help Hagrid, they stun her too. The last exam is History of Magic, and instead of being able to concentrate, Harry is exhausted and falls asleep. He wakes suddenly, screaming as he sees Voldemort torturing Sirius in his dream. Just when you thought it was just going to be a chapter of people taking tests. Reeling from his nightmare, seeing Sirius being attacked at the Department of Mysteries, he's off to find Ron and Hermione. When he finds them, he is in complete panic, urging for a way to go see Sirius, despite McGuff being at St. Mungo's, per Quen Pom Pom, meaning that all members of the Order are now gone from Hogwarts. Hermione and somewhat Ron try to reason with Harry in kind of a backward fashion, not the place nor time, before settling on checking number 12 Grimmauld Place in the fire and showed Lady's office. They devise a quick plan using Ginny and Luna, but it all for naught as Pink Chode Lady was prepared this time. That's right, she had a full body condom. Get it, Chode? It's now, a very tiny one. It's, it's very it's, tiny. It's like the one for like, you barely have dick. <laughs> That's like what it says on that. I don't know that from experience. Just FYI. I'm just gonna, yeah, let that go. <laughs> Uh, just kidding, more like some security spells and some Nazi youth, you know, the essentials. Chode Lady pulls Harry out of the fire, where he only saw Creature anyway, intent on interrogating him, while the magical painting of Chaka Khan in the corner stops singing and scoffs at Chode Lady. That's a joke I'll never let die. She, Chode Lady, not Gwen Chaka, summons Snape for more Veritaserum, who says that she used the last on Harry and the next batch will take the next month's moon cycle. So she put him on probation. Gee, Chode Lady not heeding the instructions of a teacher, or the potions master. Let's be honest, I think we are all determined that he should be on probation for being a teacher by this book, but he is great at brewing potions, you can't deny that. Or really even understanding how these keep 
Key potions work, yet being in charge of a curriculum? Wow, what a surprise. So it's time to resolve to even more violence. Chode Lady is about to use the Cruciatus Curse, saying whatever my lovely Fudge Packer doesn't know won't hurt him. Yeah, that's exactly what she said when her greasy pink knob last went into his caping castle. And admits to trying to murder Harry with the vendors at the beginning of this book. Wow, you really were that rancid We all knew you were, weren't you? If you didn't think she could become any more unhinged, think again. She's so unhinged that that door's fallen off ages ago, and by that door, I mean me bag. She's just oozing shit wherever she goes. You went there. Is that is? That no. Oh, okay. It was like, that's my whoa, whoa. I mean, okay. Hermione then does the best thing she's done in this book so far and creates a bait and switch, saying she'll lead Chode Lady to the so-called weapon they've been building. Chode Lady takes the bait and they're off to see the Grops and the most wonderful Sagittarius's of all. They're off to the see end. the Grops and the most wonderful Sagittarius's of all. That's yes. why I ran it that right away. Fuck yes. It's time. That's right. This is the chapter where the Sagittarius take down the pink hoe. Ah, oh, yes. FYI, that is spelled Y-I-S-S. -S, and if you don't know why, sorry. <laughs> I'm just sorry. Google it because you'll find it. Anyways. But first, I guess we should talk about what happens before that. But why? I mean, does it matter? Bitch is finally going to get what is coming. So... As the last chapter ended, the trio, along with Ginny, Luna, and Neville, have been rounded up by Umbitch and her group of asshole followers. Hermione is not about to let the bang demon toward Harry. What am I, saying? Like, I don't know. <laughs> and <laughs> cooks a pretty decent plan on the spot. As the chapter starts, she tricks the troll into going into the Forbidden Forest with her and Harry, where we finally get rid of this bitch. The Sagittarius is get rid of the worst human ever and guap. <laughs> Guap! We already have the the I, guap. Listen, I can't help my my thing was automatic. I did it on my phone. So this I'm makes sorry. me hungry for guacamole. Ooh, yeah. I really. Don't, don't, no, type I'm your, serious. don't type your stuff on your phone. It will auto. I, I really want guacamole. So Come, it should say guap, of course. It says guap. I uh, apparently guap is a word. Guap. <laughs> Guap. Guap is what just say this right. is what he does when he's like twerking. Like it's like wop, but it's guap. Whoa. Comes <laughs> comes in to save Harry and Hermione because they decide they also want to get rid of the children. Then Ron and Silver Trio arrive. There's a stupid argument about who should go to save Sirius and who shouldn't, and ultimately they decide that they all should fly set Thestrals to London, and our heroes are off. We oui. Yeah, it's pretty weird to be flying on invisible creatures, but that's nothing, honey. They don't even need to break into the ministry. They literally just waltz into the Department of Mysteries like they're about to go shopping at Tarjay. Shopping for weird-ass clock, brains steeped in brine, and crystal balls. Honestly, it's just a Tuesday for Madam Adam. It really is. Seriously, <laughs> it's like one big fucked-up museum with moving walls and creepy doors. Eventually, they get to row 97 in the Hall of Prophecies, and Sirius isn't there. A concept that Harry will need to get used to really soon. <laughs> Ron notices that there's a prophecy with Harry's name on it, and then suddenly a disembodied voice is like, Hey, let me hold your ball, Harry. 
So now a bunch of Death Eaters are here and Sirius is not. Harry realizes that it's been a trick even as he desperately begs Luscious Boy Toy to tell him where Sirius is. Bellatrix haunts Harry because she's a bitch and ridiculously unhinged and the kids narrowly escape the Death Eaters by destroying a lot of history that was foolishly encased in the fragile glass balls. Harry, Neville, and Hermione are separated from the others and while battling several Death Eaters, Hermione is hit with a spell that knocks her unconscious and Neville's wand and nose are both broken. Neville and Harry try to get her to safety and after more battling adults, who should be better than the kids at Magic, they are reunited with the other three. Ginny's ankle is broken and Ron has been hit by some weird spell, but Luna seems to be doing okay. Harry, Neville, and Luna try to get the others out safely. Before they could go too far, they are attacked again by three Death Eaters, including Bellatrix, who continues to be terrible. They manage to get through another door, but then Luna is thrown into the air and knocked out and Ron is attacked by brains. The Death Eaters stun Ginny and it's just Harry and Neville left to fight. Harry tries to draw the Death Eaters away from his friends and ends up in the room with the stone archway. The Death Eaters have cornered Harry, but then Neville comes to his rescue. He's not terribly effective, but he's determined to help. Bellatrix uses Crucio on Neville to get Harry to give them the prophecy. He decides to give it to them, but before he can, Sirius Lupin taunts Moody and Kingsley show up. There's more dueling and Harry goes to check on Neville. The two of them continue to fight off Death Eaters, but the prophecy gets broken in the chaos. Things continue to be crazy, but then Dumble arrives and the day is totally about to be saved until that bitch Bellatrix hits Sirius with a curse and he disappears through the veil. Harry tries to convince himself that his godfather will appear on the other side of the archway, but Lupin pulls Harry away from the archway and Sirius is gone. Harry is so fucking pissed. He realizes that Sirius is never coming back and he charges after Bellatrix, who runs from a teenager and then has the audacity to call him a baby. Girl, I thought you were a bad bitch. They fight for a bit and then Harry reveals that the prophecy is broken and Bellatrix starts to get scared. And then her main dick, Voldy, appears and she damn near shits her pants. Voldy tries to kill Harry, but Dumble is like, not today, Satan. He traps Bellatrix under a golden woman as the fountain in the ministry atrium is suddenly weaponized. They have a magnificent battle. Voldy reveals that he thinks there's nothing worse than death, and Dumble's like, wrong, honey. Pissing off a gay is the worst thing a dick fuck like you could do. Everyone knows that gays are the most powerful beings in the universe. Correct. <laughs> After more fighting, it seems that Dumble has bested him as he vanishes. Then suddenly, he sort of possesses Harry, and is one of the most terrifying moments in the series. Harry blacks out and wakes up to a room full of people. Fudge waltzes in and starts engaging in a dick-measuring contest with Dumble. Oh, sweetie. You have a chode. Hmm, fitting. In comparison to Dumble's full baloney log so big that it would knock out a horse. Or a Thestral. Or a Sagittarius. If there's one thing we've learned from this book, it's that everything is a horse now. <laughs> Fudge starts to whimper and whine. So Dumble grabs him by the neck and lifts him up in the air and says, Listen here, you little cock goblin. You're going to remove that rancid, crusty pink turd from my school and leave my widow Hagrid alone. I have work to do. Then he drop kicks him and Fudge flies into the sun, never to be seen again. Everyone applauds. Actually, this is the point in the movie where the directors decided to move to the end of the second movie for some reason. I don't know. 
Harry lands back in Dumbledore's office, alone with his thoughts and guilt over Sirius's death. When Dumbledore arrives, Harry is furious and starts screaming and breaking things. Dumbledore says a lot of things that show he has no business trying to calm a child who is distraught and traumatized. And Harry tries to leave because he just does not want to hear more of this BS. Dumbledore locks him in, which pisses him off more, and he tells Harry that it is his fault that Sirius is dead. It's exposition time, and Dumbledore is finally going to tell Harry something he should have told him years ago. He proceeds to read a thing he wrote. <laughs> Just like, I'm reading a thing you wrote. But Harry's last four years at Hogwarts is not nearly as funny as anything Adam and Tara write. Yeah. And finally, he gets to the damn point. Harry is literally a pawn in a grand plan of, and because he found some humanity and decided he might care about him as more than a game piece, he decided that Harry didn't need to know important shit for the last several years, and he wants to spare his feelings. Also, Voldy is totally around to stay until Harry successfully kills him, because Quentrelawney told him 16 years ago that neither can live while the other survives, which is ominous as fuck and definitely not a thing Harry wants to to hear after the day or year or life which is something right. i added he's had then double apologize for not making carry a prefect because that's somehow important in the grand scheme of things but that's nice of him i guess fudge packer has finally admitted that he done fucked up and slipped for a nose is back wow slip for a nose i like it slip for a nose <laughs> harry is back in the hospital wing which means it must be the end of the school year but this year he's not alone because all his friends are recovering with him. Harry avoids telling Ron and Hermione what the prophecy said, because why bother telling them that his whole life was literally meant to kill or be killed? He leaves the hospital wing and runs into Malfoy, who is pissed that Daddy's in prison. They're about to throw fists when Snape shows up and tries to take points away from Gryffindor, but they have no points to take away. Come on, Gryffindor, with the actual fuck. That's when McGuff shows up and gives points out to Gryffindor and Luna, like Oprah giving out cars. Harry heads down to Hagrid's, but Hagrid starts to make the conversation really serious. And Harry ain't having none of that, so he pieces out. A few days later, Harry finds his unopened Christmas present from Sirius, a magic mirror not on a wall. Turns out this mirror is a pre-FaceTime FaceTime. He tries to use it now to talk to Sirius, but he realizes he can't talk to someone who's dead unless they're a ghost. He goes to find nearly headless Nick and asks him how ghosting works. In the wizarding world, it's more than just men suck. Nick explains that Sirius won't be coming back as a ghost because he has officially moved on from life. This year closes out and everyone heads home. At King's Cross, the Order of the Phoenix threaten the Dursleys so they won't fuck with Harry anymore. Everyone says their goodbyes and thus ends the longest fucking book in the whole damn series. Yay, holidays. And to all a good Christmas and all a good night. How does that... And how I, was, I don't know. I was raised Jehovah's Witness. To, <laughs> to all good creatures, Merry, great Merry and Christmas small. to all and to all a good night. Is there it says. is. Okay. The Jehovah's Witness knows it. Actually, I did know it, apparently. <laughs> you have my permission to get drunk tonight. Yeah. Treat yourself this holiday season. Put a little nip in that nog. <laughs> don't stick your nip in the nog. I'm talking like a nip of something, like rum. What goes good with eggnog? I don't know. Eggnog's nasty. This is our final I'd episode of the year. I'd probably drink it if I had enough alcohol in it. I would not. It smell. I think don't like how it smells. <laughs> That's I, fair. It's thick, and I just can't help think that it's <laughs> it's eggs. 
eggs. I don't want to drink <laughs> eggs. I like eggs, but they have to be prepared a certain way. Or they have to be me. <laughs> you're not an egg, you're a potato. We've worked past I've, that. I've moved past the egg state. Yeah. Yeah, but no, like Adam was saying before I was being fucking obnoxious as hell. <laughs> this is the last episode of 2022. It is. So what can you expect next week? Nothing. Nothing. And we're taking the New Year's off. And then first episode of 2023, we will have two special guests. That is the plan, anyhow. Yeah, it is. That's true. We still need to confirm it right Planning now. Planning ahead is like a thing that apparently likes to fuck us over. It's so. just me. I'm the one who likes to plan ahead. I like to plan ahead. It's a little far ahead, but then the world has it's kind of fallen apart around us. This year has been a year. Fuck 2022. Yeah, it's been real bad. I would go so far to say maybe fuck this year more than 2020. <laughs> 2020, I got to, like, sleep more. Yes. So, yeah. Exactly. I was naked a lot more in 2020. I didn't have to see people. I might be naked more now because I have my own place. Oh, that is true. Well, welcome to your naked phase. <laughs> so we will have that episode, and then we will get into... The more chapters. Again. Yeah. Whatever chapter the fuck we're doing now, I don't know. Bye. <laughs> sure. Bye. Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Gorkery. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice and share us with all your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. Yes. Join our social media pages. Facebook, Instagram. I never update Twitter, but we have that. We do. Also email basicsnitches at gmail.com. We also now have a website, basicsnitches.com. And a Patreon, patreon.com slash basicsnitches. Join today and get exclusive content every week and be acknowledged in every single one of our episodes. Taryn Telegra, dance bitch. I see you, new friends who don't make me dance for nothing. Yeah, they ain't gonna come, honey. We out!